You're listening to The Blaze Radio Network on demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Charlie Harari Show. Honored to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, I appreciate you being here. This week, I'm going to do something a little different. I had the opportunity to sit in for Buck Sexton uh, during the week. If you want to hear all three shows, you can go check it out on the Blaze podcast for Buck. But uh, there's something that went on on the Thursday show that I think you guys uh, may really like. So I figured that what I do this week is uh, replay that show for you. So um, I hope you enjoy it and check out uh, Thursday's show of me filling in for Buck. Looking forward to uh, speaking to you, doing a full podcast in the following weeks. Please always feel free to reach out to me, Charlie, at charlieharari.com, or you can Twitter me at Charlie Harari. Uh, let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear for this coming uh, quarter. And looking forward to being in touch. Thanks so much and check it out. This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. The Buck Sexton Show. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 3, 2, 1. The Buck Sexton Show. And hello, everybody, and welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari here, filling in for the great Buck Sexton. An honor to be with you again another day. I hope you're not sick of me yet. I'm enjoying sitting in this chair. Hope that you are as well. What a, what a world that we're living in right now. So much went on. Every day I feel like so much is going on, uh, especially in, in what should have been a quieter week. Uh, happy September, everybody. August, summer is officially behind us and now we are just holding on to the weekend before we get into the full full force of the fall that's going to come pretty soon and this i think is going to be one of the most important months that we're going to have in a very very long time lots going on this month we got to keep our eyes out for the election i believe will be decided for the most part this month the economy is going to be uh how we see it where it goes is happening this month there's so much going on around the world that we got to be paying attention to and it's an honor to be with you again Happy end of the summer to ya. And yesterday we spoke a little bit. We got a lot going on in the show. A lot going on in the show. Uh, today we've got uh, our good friend Jake Novak is going to come back. He was on on Monday talking about Donald Trump. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. A lot of things going on around the world. I want to begin by talking about Donald Trump, as you can imagine. Yesterday on the show we spoke about the gimme, right? The gift that was given to Donald Trump, right? That interception that was returned for a touchdown, and then the ref comes in and calls it off, and he gives the team some more life. That happened yesterday as the Mexican president invited Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton to come down and meet him to have a 
productive discussion about their differences. Hillary Clinton making what is her strategic move, which is stay out of the way and let people not really know of me so much. As long as they'll almost forget about me, then maybe I have a shot at winning this. So she says no. And Donald Trump goes down. And we spoke about this yesterday on the show, and it was more than at least I anticipated. You know, to be honest, when when we said yesterday that he's going to look presidential and it's going to be great, I didn't really anticipate, and maybe you you did, but I didn't, a full sort of, you know, bi-podium presidential diplomatic conference at the after their conversation. And I was at the gym yesterday, and all the TVs, I mean, almost every one, right, when, when Donald Trump got up and was standing alongside the Mexican president, I would say every TV in the gym, including the ones people were running to, unless you're watching, like, you know, some soap opera or, you know, the Ellen show, every other television sort of stopped what they were doing and focused on this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, talk about vision. You know, yesterday we spoke about the idea of vision and how you do things. And by doing them, you enable people to see you in different ways, right? I told you the story yesterday about my partner who gave me the advice to put on the suit, in part because he wanted me, when I'd walk down the halls or interact with other people in the firm, they would start to see me, and in their minds, in their subconscious, which is so much more powerful than our conscious brain, they would make connections, and they would make associations, and the association would be Man in suit, right? That's what a partner would dress, right? Because that's what guys were wearing. Women were wearing things that are more complicated than a suit with a tie on. But when you see a guy in a suit for generations, they just assume that they were the partners. And when they saw me, even though I was you know, 10 years younger than the partners would be, they started making those associations. And yesterday at some random gym on Long Island, a packed room of people, and all types of people, old, young just stopped and saw something that they usually only see for heads of state. They saw the president of our neighboring country stand at a podium with an individual who up until that moment was being ridiculed as a fool. Right? That was Donald Trump's greatest bet. That's why Mexico right now is going crazy. If you're following what was going on in Mexico yesterday, I mean, the president of Mexico got killed for this, killed. And then there's that whole snafu where Trump said they'll pay for the wall, which is like standard Trump. You almost had it. You could have nailed it. Right. And you didn't. So, okay, fine. Like, you know, he had the game in his hands and he dropped the ball. You didn't have to get up and say a million times they're going to pay for the wall. Hey, just drop that one sentence. Just leave the bill. It's like we're America, right? Like it's not the end of the world. You know, we're spending more money on every dumb little thing. I mean, we could he could have just sort of left it alone, but he didn't. So, okay, but for that, they're killing him down there, killing, killing him down there because for so long, the Mexican people sort of dismissed Donald Trump as a joke, as someone who just says stuff. Nobody was taking him seriously. In fact, there are pundits right now that are spinning over and over trying to figure out how to now turn Donald Trump from the joke that they said he was to an individual who's just really, really, really dangerous because now he becomes more dangerous because beforehand no one took him seriously, right? And we got reports back from the world leaders and Barack Obama is great at this, by the way. If you want one person that's really good at sort of passively, aggressively 
passively aggressively. Yeah, I think that's the right way to say that. Passively aggressively making us or someone else feel stupid. He's like the king of that. You know what I'm talking about? Like after like a terrorist attack, he'll just get up there and just make us all feel dumb for actually trying to figure out how to protect ourselves. Right away, we all become sort of like racists and homophobes if there's a terrorist attack because he's just so good at that. You know, and he's done that well. He has, you know, every time he's given the opportunity, he basically says, by the way, guys, on the street, you know, where the rest of the people are, like the rest of the world leaders, they think we're crazy for considering Donald Trump. And so we are crazy, right? Like, just stop this right now. And it's effective. It's really effective. I mean, people are sort of look at it and go, yeah, he's right. I mean, I guess if he's going to like, you know, these these international summits and all these world leaders are, think that Donald Trump is a buffoon, like, can I really vote for him for president? And last night, yesterday, for the first time, you got your first foreign leader that basically said, I'm taking this guy seriously. And that comes from the outside, right? That's a big deal. And I think that's going to be bigger than even we appreciate today. You know, it's like when you're dating a girl and, you know, you're not sure if you want to break up with her or not. And then some other guy likes her and you're like, yo, don't touch my girl, right? Like the minute somebody else shows a drop of interest in what you have, you start to recognize it yourself. And yesterday, I think that was a key moment and Hillary dropped it and Donald Trump lived it. And at the gym, everything that we spoke about yesterday about vision and how you see somebody I was watching, I'm sure people that are not voting for that, I shouldn't just judge people like that, but I'm just sort of taking a shot in the dark here in a New York gym, half the people that are there, I would assume that many of them are just not Trump supporters. And I just watched them stop and stare as if it was like real newsworthy stuff. You know, on CNN yesterday, there was a, a, a countdown to his immigration speech, like a legitimate countdown on the side of the screen the entire day on CNN, the way they counted down to the president's State of the Union or the debates. Just a Donald Trump speech now is turning into something that it wasn't even a few days earlier. And that's a trend that if he doesn't, if he doesn't blow it, could really shift and change the election. He got the call and he's going to, we're going to see if whether or not he can sort of take this to the end. And I'm not in any way saying it's good or bad. I'm not making that judgment. That's not what I'm going to do today or ever. I hope. You know how I've been feeling about him, if anyone's been listening to me on the radio here. But just the idea that Donald Trump, if he can just step it up now, stay at the teleprompter, work hard. He's got a huge game coming up. He's got in, in, in about 25 days from now, he's going to be going head to head with Hillary Clinton here on Long Island. Believe it or not, right across you from where I'm sitting, he's going to be debating Hillary Clinton and it's going to be something that I think if he appreciates and recognizes could totally change his future, he better take it seriously. I mean, he's got Roger Ailes now behind him. And whatever you think of Roger Ailes, he's a talented person when it comes to media. And if Donald Trump is not spending hours right now training for the Olympic trials called the debate against Hillary Clinton, then he's basically taking his opportunity and throwing it, th throwing it in the trash because this is it. This is the month. And you're going to see it right here. This is the month. This is, by the way, what happened with Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. Mitt Romney's really his only shot because he was really trailing by a lot. His only shot really came down to those debates. But this is really what it comes down to. And he totally has to jump on this and take this on. But I want to spend a couple of minutes, you know, talking about um, 
what happened yesterday and just how Donald Trump played it. And I honestly think whether you like him or you don't, Donald Trump played his hand differently than we thought and started to really cater to a group of people that are going to get behind him a lot, a lot more. Yesterday, his opening on that speech in terms of how he framed his conversations, how he framed the, the moments that he had with the president yesterday is critical. We come back. We're going to go right to the speech. Let's talk about what went on in that, that immigration speech and just how much Donald Trump, whoever wrote his speech, I think did a good job. Just how much Donald Trump played the crowd yesterday. Uh, this is Charlie Rye filling in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Hey team, it's Buck. Have you tried a Casper mattress yet? They are incredible. They're obsessively engineered and they come at a shockingly fair price for a mattress that brings together technology and comfort to also be a great value is just too much for any of you to pass up. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and the perfect bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. It is an award-winning mattress that absolutely will not disappoint. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. And for listeners of this show, you can get a special $50 toward any mattress by going to casper.com slash buck, casper.com slash buck, and using buck as the code. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari filling in for Buck. Hope everyone's doing well. Talking about Donald Trump and his move in Mexico and how it played into his immigration speech yesterday. I'm going to play a clip uh, at the beginning of the speech. Just watch how he navigates, or whoever writes this for him, navigates this in to sort of create this level of credibility that he's uh, really going to, I think, capitalize on. Check this out. I've just landed, having returned from a very important and special meeting with the president of Mexico, a man I like and respect very much. We agreed on the importance of ending the illegal flow of drugs, cash, guns, and people across our border and to put the cartels out of business. When politicians talk about immigration reform, they usually mean the following amnesty, open borders, lower wages. Immigration reform should mean something else entirely. It should mean improvements to our laws and policies to make life better for American citizens. <laughs> President Obama and Hillary Clinton support sanctuary cities. They support catch and release on the border. They support visa overstays. They support the release of dangerous, dangerous, dangerous criminals from detention. See, that, I think that was it right there. 
Uh, one of the things that I think is incredible in terms of what he did was he began with this, by the way, I just came back from a really important meeting with the president of Mexico, and he agrees with me, right? This is the moment where he says, yeah, he's also against the cartels. We're all on the same side here. So just so you know, guys, when you're talking about Mexico now, I and the president of Mexico are on the same team here with regards to what this board is going to be doing. And that, I think, sort of shifts the game right away. And then he moves into the second piece. And he starts to create this distinction. And what this speech does last night is it starts to create what we've seen. We saw this spoke about this yesterday on the show, the idea that we are spending too much time on character flaws and not enough time on policy changes and too much time talking about how much we hate Hillary Clinton and how much we hate Donald Trump and they did this and they did that and not enough time about, okay, when they become president, what does that actually mean for me? And his ability right last night, his ability to stop the conversation just for those few minutes and say, I spoke to the president of Mexico and we're on the same team and let me sort of clarify it for you right now. You got Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton on side A and let me tell you what they're for, immigration reform. And when they say immigration reform, they're talking about ways to bring more immigrants into the country. Amnesty, open borders, sanctuary cities. When, they, when you hear the word immigration reform out of their mouths, what you should realize is that when they are in charge, you're going to get more immigrants here. You're going to get more people staying. You're going to get more coming in from all over the world to be in this country. And now let me tell you what I mean. And then he lays out his plan. At least he lays out a couple of steps. And I want to play you one clip from those steps as to what he lays out. And then we'll go to the break and talk about it a little later. Check out this clip. Number one. Are you ready? Are you ready? We will build a great wall along the southern border. Number two, we are going to end catch and release. We catch them, oh, go ahead. We catch them, go ahead. Under my administration, anyone who illegally crosses the border will be detained until they are removed out of our country and back to the country from which they came. Number three, number three, this is the one I think it's so great. It's hard to believe people don't even talk about it. Zero tolerance for criminal aliens, zero, zero. According to federal data, there are at least two million, two million, think of it, criminal aliens now inside of our country. Two million people, criminal aliens. We will begin moving them out day one, as soon as I take office, day one. And that was, the, that was just a piece of what he was talking about last time. We come back, we're going to analyze exactly what exactly what this is going on here because lots of what he was saying is requires that level of talk, that level of conversation. But what I loved so much about this piece was 
how he sort of, you know, he, he egged the crowd on, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? We're like, what are we going to get something new? He's like, we're building a wall. Everyone's like, yeah, okay. I, I, I heard this one, I think, once before. But what he's trying to do is very clearly separate himself from all the confusion. On the show we did a couple of days ago, we spoke about the flip-flopping. We spoke about how if he's not going to be strong in immigration, it's going to now disassociate him from some of his base, the people that got him elected in the first place. And what we're getting right away from this, these, just these two clips, but that you can see the entire speech, what you're getting is he is trying hard to shift the conversation from Donald Trump is X to this is what I stand for. This is what you're getting. If you vote for me, let's be clear. We're going to get these people out. We're going to build this wall. We're going to change the entire game of people that are coming in into the country. And to give this speech in Arizona and to be so strong is Trump's way of saying, listen, I know I've gotten some of that flip-flopping back drop on me. It's all gone. And what really what makes this an incredible moment for the Donald Trump campaign, which I think, should he even get close to winning, we will look back and talk about why it's so important is that he has gone across the border. He's come back and only gotten more strong, right? He's only gotten more emboldened. You would have expected him to come back of that meeting and say, I met with the president. All right, listen, I thought it was this, but it's that. But what he did yesterday, to his credit, and I spent enough time in my life bashing Donald Trump. I can give him a drop of credit right now without going all bored and being a Trump guy. But to Trump's credit, what he did yet last night but he was, he was able to sort of cut through to the chase and say, listen, I spoke to him. He's a great guy. I actually went down. And if you saw the press conference that he gave down in Mexico, he was saying how good the Mexican people are, how great everything is. And I'm going to and I still can totally be behind him, but I'm not changing my policies. You come back. We're going to talk a lot more about this. This is Charlie Rari filling in for Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Charlie Rari filling in for Buck Sexton. Hope everyone's doing well. Got a great comment from Frank and PA um, saying that I got my bubbly Trump enthusiasm. Thanks, Frank. Uh, I, I think I've been pretty tough on Trump my whole way through, but I appreciate your comments. Um, and the end keeps you warm. I love it. Um, but you're right. I, there's a lot that we don't like about Donald Trump, but I got to give him a little bit of credit today. And, and I think he's tapping into something that's even deeper. And that's what we're going to do on the show today is, as we do hopefully on every show that I'm on, is really try to figure out what's going on beneath beneath the, the, the curtain, right? Or pull back the curtain, talk about a little bit what's some of the intangibles that really make us happy, upset, make us sort of move towards somebody and away from somebody. And I got to tell you, yesterday for me was a moment 
where I found myself sort of inclining towards Donald Trump, not necessarily for him, because he hit something inside me that I thought was a fundamental belief that I had. And as he continued, if he gets this and he continues to do this, I think it's going to only increase and increase his support. Now, what do I mean? So I just want to take everyone, just take a step back here. I remember when I was younger, as I was telling you yesterday that I started my career at law and I was uh, involved in, you know, the law firm was working pretty hard and fairly early on in my career, I got, you know, it's a lot of times when you're a young lawyer, they, they ask you to sit on all these different boards because they ultimately want to get some money from you. So I ended up sitting on some of these charitable boards and I started getting, I wouldn't say addicted to these boards, but I started to get really, you know, involved in a whole bunch of charities sitting on their nonprofit boards. And we're going to talk a little later on in the show about a nonprofit that just got busted for being terrible. But this happened to have been a great nonprofit. And, you know, you go on this committee and you go on that committee and you go out to dinners and then you, you know, you make decisions then you show up and all these, you know, this is a organization to help, you know, young children. And then they see you. And it's really, really, I find to be very meaningful. And, you know, one board led to the next board, led to the next event and a dinner. And I was getting to a point where I was waking up early in the morning and going to work and then at night, I'd be coming home, and I would literally, I was married, you know, and I would, I, I'd come back, see my wife, say hello, sort of hand her my, you know, my briefcase, and then sort of, she'd hand me like a little doggy bag of dinner, and then I'd be off, you know, to the next thing that I was doing. And I was sitting at one of these events, and an older individual, an older gen- gentleman who had seen me in other places came up to me and said, wow, I didn't know you were so involved in these things. I said, yeah, well, I'm getting very involved. It's something that I really want to do for the community. So he says, yeah, but I saw you on a few other boards you know, you know, last month as well. I said, yeah, you know, I've been trying to, to sort of be as active as I can. And this guy, he was an older guy, you know, he sort of pulls me to the side and goes, you know, I, I'm just going to give you some unsolicited advice. I'm like, all right, you yeah, know, great. I'll, I'll take that. He said, remember that there's no kindness when you step on the people that you love to become the person that you want to be. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, you know, I understand that you're young and you're getting excited and you really want to, you know, be involved and make a difference. And you're going to get involved in a lot of things. But, you know, there's there's no real kindness. You, you think you're being kind. And I know that you, you may be being kind, but you're forgetting that you got a little kid at home and you got a wife. And you don't become a rock star and you don't really, you can't really change the world stepping on the backs of the ones that love you. You know, there's nothing wrong with staying home. There's nothing wrong with saying no to the world if you got to take care of your own. In fact, sometimes the greatest kindness is a kindness that you do for the people that love you, not for everybody else in the world. And there are people like that, that are so busy helping the world that they forget to help the ones that are the closest to them. He quoted me this incredible passage by a prophet named Micah. In Hebrew, it's Micha. And the prophet Micah uh, has a line that is one of the more famous lines, I think, in all of you know, sort of prophet sayings. Just to give you a context, the prophet Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. Isaiah is, the, I think, the more popular prophet. And Micah says a line, and if you just Google this, it's in like probably a million different keychains and wall, you know, every, you know, I'm sure it's, everyone has heard this before. And here's the line that Micah says. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Right, that's a pretty good sort of opening statement. I'm going to tell you what God wants from you. And then he says to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
And he said to me, this man who is able to quote Micah by heart, which is incredible. He said, why in the world does did he did the, the prophet say do justice and then love kindness? Wouldn't you think that you would always begin with kindness and say, okay, we're going to be kind to everybody. And then there are some people that we're going to have to do justice with. So we, we're going to have to hold back. Why open with the justice, right? Why start with the strict, the strictness? Why start with the structure? Why don't you start with the heart? Why start with the head? And he said to me that the greatest kindness first begins with justice. Isn't that amazing? First begins with thought. First begins with fairness. Because you can't tell what is and isn't kindness unless you know how to think through what is or isn't fair. What is or isn't just. Because if all you would be is kindness, everyone that's near you would get stomped on to help the one person that's beyond you. If all you would see is kindness, you'd give away, you'd give away all your money. You wouldn't tithe your money. You'd give away all your money. You would let criminals walk the streets because they said sorry on the last minute. You would hurt those that need to be helped because you're too busy helping those that need to be in justice, not in kindness. And that one little bit of advice really stuck with me. And I really think about that a lot. I think about this sort of internal thing that we each have, all of us. We have this internal fairness, you know, monitor where we know when things are too kind, right? When they're too fair, or it's just, no, when they're not fair, right? When they're too kind, when you let that criminal, you know, leave jail because of some technicality, you don't need a philosophy lesson or a Bible lesson to know that was just unfair. That wasn't, that wasn't appropriate kindness. That wasn't smart kindness. When you hand Iran $400 million to let go of your soldiers that they took, or when you give Iran the ability to build a nuclear bomb, and we're going to talk about Iran later because they're up in the news again today, in your core, we believe, at least I believe, and no one's got to tell me that this is not the right kindness, right? You're stepping on the rest of the world. You're stepping on your friends. You're stepping on your people. You just stepped all over Israel, who has been your partner for generations who is the only person you're going to rely on when everybody sort of turns their back on you and who's been there for you, you're stepping on your friends to help out an enemy. That's not true kindness. I'm sorry. You got to use a little bit more justice before you get to that kindness. That internal monitor does something. And I want you to sort of pay attention to it now because it does two things. One, it just feels off to us. And I would just say us as sort of like people that are not too involved in this, right? But just average sort of third-party observers that are sitting here watching, you, you're saying, hey, when you give too much, when you're not, when you don't use your head, when there's no justice before kindness, it's just, it's just wrong. It's off. It just doesn't make sense. I know that you can sort of step out and go, yeah, and give me some bleeding heart sort of example. But when I think it through and I go to bed at night, I'm like, mm, I don't know. That, I don't think so. That just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. But it goes one step further. And here's what this guy said to me. And it's re I find it to be really true in my life. He says, if you don't do the kindness to the people that are, you know, the, the easy ones, right? The ones you got to take care of your family. The cruelty that you bring to them is 
you take away their ability to do kindness. Right? You hear that? I mean, it was so brilliant that he said it to me. It was such a great idea. If you're not going to use justice, right? If you're not going to use fairness when you deliver your own kindness, right? If you're too busy running around all night helping everybody else and then your, your kids never see you or your wife never sees you or your local community never sees you, what will end up happening is you will grow, you will grow a resentment in them. They will do things. They will become people that they don't even on their own. They, they're not going to be as kind as they can be because you will have taken kindness too far. You will have administered it without justice, and you will raise a generation of people that are going to not be as kind as they could be. In fact, this man told me that one of his sons is just is just totally not involved whatsoever with any communal involvement. It was his oldest son. He was a young guy like I was when I started this. He couldn't get enough. That's why he actually came over to me. He couldn't get enough. And now his son, who he does have a relationship with, not a strong relationship, basically is just shunned all you know sort of giving to the community getting involved giving charity everything because as he gets close to it he remembers his dad and he thinks about him and he thinks about all the games he missed and all the nights he missed and all the time that he missed with him and that make made him less kind you see kindness is is, is a complicated thing you don't just administer it whenever to everybody it has to be done with justice. That was the brilliance of Micah's line. That was the brilliance of wisdom from an, you know, a timeless source that just being kind without any level of strength or level of justice is not really being kind. And this, and this, this, this idea, I believe, is what Trump tapped into yesterday. And this idea it may shape and shift the election coming our way. What do I mean? We'll talk about it when we get back. This is Charlie Rari filling in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, hey, welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Rari filling in for Buck. Hope everyone's doing well. Happy end of the summer to you. Speaking about Donald Trump and uh, his immigration speech and why I think it's a really big deal and why I think it's a it's a watershed moment in his in his campaign and his and uh, what could be the you know a big difference in the elections. And it comes down as it always does to an intangible. It comes down to something that he's done last night and if he sticks with it and i don't know if he will he may mess it up and that's a huge trump move if he sticks with it he's going to hit something that's underneath us and i'm going to play us i'm I'm going to play you two clips that really tries to get to the core of this idea of justice and kindness and why if he hits it correctly he can make a huge difference listen to this one i am going to ask these are really special people that i've gotten to know I'm going to ask all of the angel moms to come join me on the stage right now. These are amazing women. It's hard to see this, but on TV, a bunch of women and one man come on and they're wearing shirts 
and each of these shirts have a picture of their child that was killed with an, by an illegal immigrant. You heard that? That's the key. That's everything. What just happened right there is everything. You have people that come on the stage, listen to what he did, and whoever set this up for him deserves a raise and a bonus and a day off. He's at the speech. He's speaking about immigration. And then he doesn't just keep it policy-focused. He doesn't just keep it negative. He does something that is exactly, I think, what we're just talking about. We each have this internal monitor that tells us what fairness is and what justice is. And when you took, when you take kindness too far, it sort of sets off an alarm. When I said to you earlier that the advice that I got was from the guy who said, don't step on your kids to help somebody else, I bet you, are, if you're listening, I bet you're saying, yes, that makes sense. It makes sense to not go and help someone who's on you know, some organization or even the street if you're going to destroy the, your, the, your children. You're not going to be there for your kids. You know why? Because that just makes sense. It's an internal. No one has to teach that to us. It's internal. It's internal for us to know that we've, we have a country and we want to be good to people, but you don't just hurt our own to help somebody else out. It's just, and I want to, I want to change the world. I really do. I, I really do believe in humanity. And why should anybody who grew up anywhere not have a shot? And if America can give you that shot, then great, come. My dad's an immigrant. My grandparents are immigrants. I'm not, I, I didn't come in from the Mayflower. However, you can't step on Americans. You can't step on us. You can't step on those that are here. It's got to be done with justice. It's got to be done with fairness. It's got to be done with thought. And that was his point. And to drive that point home, he brings up moms. And there's actually one dad there. Moms. I mean, is, is there, a, is there a, a greater, more raw symbol of a mom that loses a child who was killed by an illegal immigrant? I mean, like, it doesn't get more clear than that. That is the essence of unfairness. That is the epitome of no justice. That their child was was killed by someone who didn't belong here in the first place. And the crowd, no one told them this, right? As far as I saw, there was no sort of like, you know, it wasn't like a game where like, you know, someone was in the box sort of like getting them riled up. The crowd on their own said, USA. You hear that? On their own, the crowd sort of intuitively responded with, I'm proud of us. That's right, USA. Now, that's a very powerful thing to happen at a, or um, it's easy in a Trump rally, but it's also a very dangerous thing to happen, right? And we're going to talk about that when we come back off the break. It's a dangerous thing that you're playing with, but it's also something that he's tapping into. Even if you're against him, you have to at least understand what he's playing with. When we come back, we're going to finish this up a little bit, talk about just how far this can go in the election. we got a great guest coming up on the back end of the show, talking about the power of the economy. It's all coming up in hour two. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.
now spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. And hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari filling in for the great Buck Sexton. Honor to be with you today. Welcome to Hour 2. Honored to be at the Blaze Radio Network. Happy end of December to you. This is... The last few moments, I think, before Labor Day weekend, I'm sure you're seeing it in your offices. People are sort of looking at their clocks more frequently. Everyone's looking to get out. And so that's sort of how I think the world is uh, right now before the holiday, which is great. And this is a great opportunity to sort of get that last little bit in of summer before we end up uh, going into the fall. But lots going to go on in the fall. I'm talking about it in the first hour. Lots coming down the pike. And I think Donald Trump got a huge victory in from the Mexican president in the invitation yesterday, changed his entire speech. And then coming up this month is going to be a lot of information. One's going to be a lot on the economy. We'll talk about that in the next uh, segment. The debates are going to be coming up. There's a lot of presidential elections still left. I think Donald's got, I I think he's down by a lot, um, but you never know, a couple of big gaffes and this changes. But yeah, I want to really want to just sort of finish up this idea about justice and kindness this is, I think, in life, the, the the balance of knowing when it's too much and when it's too little, when you got to go out and help people, and when you got to sort of hold it in and do what's right for you and your family. This happened yesterday to me. Like I was saying yesterday, I get the opportunity fairly frequently to sort of, you know, advise some people. I, I, I'm, I mean, I'm just happy if they if they take it seriously. So I was somewhere yesterday after the show and. A young person who had heard, you know, some of the things that I was working on came over and asked me for some advice. And the advice that he asked me for was this exact issue. He was, you know, very involved, young, energetic, and he just didn't know if he was going to burn out. That was his word. And I tried to sort of share with him this idea that there's no there's no shame in taking care of yourself, right? There's no shame in saying no to someone who just sort of leeches on you. And this, by the way, this may be going on in your life right now. There may be that person that just leeches on you 24-7. And there's no shame in, 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 in creating a little safe space for yourself, for your family, for your thoughts, for your own growth. That's just part of life, right? Kindness follows justice. And when we see the reverse, when we see kindness without any justice, when we see sort of unadulterated, sort of, you know, pie in the sky, Pollyannish kindness, it irks us a little bit. And it's, it makes us feel like it's not appropriate. And then we feel bad. Right. We feel like we're not being good people. And that just leads to a whole, you know, array of negative emotions. And I think Donald Trump will play this and he's going to play it more. And, and I hope you see it. Well, you know, I hope you watch him play it, that he is going to consistently play the game of they are out to lunch. Right. They are off the reservation. They're too far off. And as a result, we are losing ourselves and we're losing our exceptional exceptionalism. And as a result, it's better to go with the guy who at least has some boundaries than to go with the administration, which Hillary Clinton is just an extension of Barack Obama, even though she probably won't be. At least that's what she's running on now. That just sort of opens the doors and doesn't get it. And listen to what he said yesterday in his in his speech. He had one point that I think got a lot of attention and got a lot of reaction. And I think it's sort of he, he said it for this reason. Listen to this. There are at least 23 countries that refuse to take their people back after they've been ordered to leave the United States, including large numbers of violent criminals. They won't take them back. So we say, okay, we'll keep them. Not going to happen with me, folks. Not going to happen with me. 
and that, I think that's exactly the point, which is look how crazy this is. You've got all these countries that are sending over their people and they won't even take them back. Like how insane is it that America is, is sort of giving a place to stay for people that their own countries won't even take them back. And he's just driving this point home. And as he does it, it's going to get the reaction of more and more people saying, Hey, I don't like him, but the man's right. And if we don't get someone that could make these tough calls, where are we going to be? You know, this is happening right now in Germany. If you remember, uh, Angela Merkel, who sort of was the poster child for uh, open kindness, right? If there was one person last year, last summer, it was now, right? It was even earlier, right? It was, I think it was even July. Last summer when you had all those migrants coming across to Europe and you had Angela Merkel basically saying, hey, we open our arms, right? Like just open my arms and don't even think about it and we can do this. And that famous picture of her, of her taking a selfie with the Syrian refugee um, and just in, in, in the refugee camps. And she began the year with this sort of we're better than that mentality, right? And now she is getting a lot of slack. And in fact, a lot of the political parties are coming up against her. Um, the CDU, which is one of the big parties that are at, that are really just sort of surging in the polls in Germany, that is totally sort of threatening her, her political career. And here she said just recently, I just saw a quote that said, here it is, we didn't embrace the problem in an appropriate way. That goes as well for protecting the external border of the Schengen area. So she basically said, yeah, you, you, I really should have used the border. <laughs> the whole, like, I'm opening up my hands thing, yeah, maybe I should have used my, I really should have thought about this just a drop. I, can I just sort of bring all these people in without really checking them out and just sort of having them come to my country? I, I, would, I was just trying to be nice, right? And you're like, yeah, I know, but you're the head of a, you're the head of a country, right? You've got to worry about the people that are actually in your country in order to actually do what's right for everybody, right? Do justice. And then love kindness. And this, this unfairness does something for us. First thing it does is it, it starts to pit people against the Obama administration and Hillary. And the more you're going to see this happen, the more you're going to see Hillary struggle. Just recently, I mean, just up until today, right? Today, the LA Times, yesterday we saw the polls were tied. Just yesterday, the LA Times USC poll today shows Donald Trump leading Hillary by 2.6 percentage points. Right. So now you're seeing the polls totally shift. In fact, Hillary dropped to 39 percent overall on on some of the polls here. And you're seeing her your her support drop and drop and drop because she's identifying herself more and more with the Obama administration and her inability to stand out and show some strength is really, really hurting Americans. Right. And this is something that was the last bit of that advice that that guy gave me, which I thought was 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 really important basically what he said was when you act this way when you go too far you make people worse than they are and i think that's what's going on in our country today i really believe that we are an incredible country i am the, a patriot of patriots and i believe so strongly in what america brings to the world and sometimes you see things at rallies and you see people say things and you cringe you see things that are going around trump rallies and you ask yourself like really is that really what America is up to right now in 2016? Like, how did we get here? How do we get to this point where people are saying things and doing things at some of these rallies or outside the rallies? How is it happening that America is doing things right now that I don't even think they would be proud of? And this is exactly the story, right? When you have an administration that is so far off, that is so far out, 
that just administers kindness without any level of justice, that just opens the door to 10,000 Syrian refugees and just sticks them in a state that just sort of has no borders, that, you know, catches a couple and then releases them, that just, just with living in a country where you feel like there's nobody at home, look what's going on in the Middle East. We'll talk about that a little later on in the show. I mean, they're just mocking us. And when, and even if, by the way, even if there's more, they're, they're doing more than we know, or it's more secure than we think, the way the administration comes across, the way the current, the way Barack Obama comes across is from a, from a, from a, from a presentation point of open up your hearts, man. Like, whoa, whoa. I'm not, he, he doesn't even recognize terrorism, right? Something goes wrong and you know, it ain't coming from Barack Obama. And so you're seeing this, what it's doing to the country is it's making us have to be less kind. It's making us have to cheer at events when, and I, I'm not part of it, but when you look over to other Americans, that's what I see. I see people doing things and saying things that they wouldn't have said otherwise. I don't believe if they would trust that the person at the top got it, understands it, is protecting it. But we don't have that. So you have an administration that has gone so far in one direction that the kids, if you will, the rest of us, start to look at it and, 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 and treat it differently. That's how a Donald Trump makes it. If you're, if you're asking yourself, like, how do we get a candidate like a Donald Trump? How does Donald Trump survive when he calls Mexicans rapists and whatever? How does it work? How do, how do we get this far? We don't just get this far from nowhere. We get this far from frustrated Americans that have nowhere to turn. And the more Donald Trump is going to play, the, and, and again, I don't know if he will, but if he does, this is going to be a huge watershed moment. The more he plays strong, the more he can say, I mean, just think about it. Yesterday, he basically went down to Mexico after calling them, after saying that they send over their rapists, and some people are good, I guess. Remember, remember that speech that he gave? And they're beating us, and they're laughing at us, right? And all those terrible things. And then he gets the invite to go down. He comes back. He doesn't give up an inch. He doesn't give up a. He doesn't say for one second anything other than, "Yeah, I went down there. He's a good guy. They're good people. They're beyond reproach." But they're still paying for the wall. Nothing's going to change. What he's hitting on this whole law and order stuff. We got to just see it for what it is. He's hitting on this. He's hitting on this underlying sort of sense that we have of justice and how sometimes we may have felt in our country these past four years, these past eight years, that America is losing that sort of adultness in itself. And, and on the other hand, you're going to see Hillary Clinton. It's only if, if it continues to get worse, you know, that there's a news report that just came out that Bill Clinton used taxpayer funds. You know, he gets money for being an ex-president. He used taxpayer money to pay for the salary of Justin Cooper, who was the guy who set up the private email server, server in Clinton's home, right? Can you imagine? Like he's using our money to evade us. And so what you're seeing here is sort of the balance of power shifting around these two, if you can just picture these two sort of you know sides of the scale, kindness and justice. And you're seeing that as the justice starts to erode itself from how we're seeing Obama and his administration and his legacy, and as the justice and fairness starts to erode itself from what we see of, of Hillary Clinton, you get a guy like Donald Trump who is clearly not a saint in any which way. He's going to come out there and he's going to exploit this. 
And this may be a huge deal. But I think for us, it's important just to take a step back and realize it in our own lives and make sure that no matter what we're doing, that we don't fall into the same category, that we're able to be kind to people, but at the same time understand our boundaries and know where it's enough and know how to take care of those that are that deserve our, our highest attention. Because that, I think, is really our, our number one priority. Wouldn't you agree? When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about um, just what this means for every one of us, and then we got a lot more going on in this show. This is Charlie Rari filling in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. And welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Rara here speaking about the power of justice and how it's supposed to sort of interplay with kindness. One should not overwhelm the other. And when that gets messed up, it does bad things to people, I think. It it doesn't help anybody to have just random kindness without any level of boundaries and without thought. And I'm all for kindness. I think the world, I believe, and I think it's sort of like a religious faith-based vision. I have it. Um, and it comes from my, my faith in God that, you know, humanity should live at a certain place and you can't, everyone deserves a chance and everyone deserves to be lifted up and you got to look out for those that are un, unprivileged or underprivileged, I should say, but it has to be done with thought. And that was Micah's whole point. And I think that's the, he was taking that as a, as a vision from God. And when you look around the world, sometimes you sort of shake your head and go, really? Like, wh- what were you thinking? Here's, here's a shake of the head that I saw today. I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, you can uh, you can tweet me at Charlie Harari. I uh, should have said that earlier t- in the show. You can always tweet me at Charlie Harari. Uh, we're gonna, I'm looking at the Twitter the Twitter feed, the Twitter feed right now. Listen to the story that I just saw coming out of Italy. Here's the head headline: Half a million young Italians are about to receive money to stay away from terrorism. Listen to this thing: Italy is worried about terrorism, right? Because it's in Europe and it's you know one of the many western larger western countries that isis is either has targeted or will target so their idea for trying to get kids to not be terrorists is listen to this and tell me if you think this is a good idea or just a waste of money starting mid-september more than a half a million 18 year olds living in italy are eligible to receive vouchers valued at more than $500 each. So these kids are going to get 500 bucks. These vouchers will allow recipients to visit museums, go to concerts for reduced prices, or watch movies. And the message is trying to to sell and send is that if you just get involved in the Italian culture and you go to a concert or a movie, then that'll get people to, I guess, not want to blow that movie theater up or get excited about um, I guess, Western culture. And I think this is a great example of, in my opinion, this idea of completely and utterly missing it, right? To think that um, Islamic ex- uh, extremists are going to uh, stop what they're doing and 18-year-olds that would have otherwise blown themselves up will say, hey, wait a second, I just got in to see this movie out of America um, with the subtitles and I was it was going to cost me, you know, 10 bucks and now it costs me five. I I just can't go. I just can't go with it because 
the museum of art that I had walked through just really got me thinking through the idea of Italy and its history in terms of its artistic ability. It's a total mess, right? It's a total and utter mess in terms of what the kindness is you got to do to people to make them a part of your culture, what you got to offer people like jobs and what you have to do in terms of justice, like police and the army and intelligence to try to crack down on people that just don't deserve the kindness. But this is the type of stuff that we're seeing coming out of places like Europe. And this is the type of stuff that is, is I think hurting them. This is the type of like sort of random nonsensical kindness, just handing 18 year olds $500 worth of vouchers in hopes that they're not going to go off and, you know, ultimately become terrorists. And it's just not, I don't think, you know, something that we should be, it just, it just makes no sense. But this is the type of stuff that we're talking about. Um, it's this idea that if you want to really actually make a difference in this world, you, you got to use kindness. There's no question, but you got to use it in a way that actually makes a whole bunch of sense and that can actually go somewhere. And it has to be boundaried because if it's not, it's not going to work. And and we're seeing it here, and I think we're, we're we're suffering from it. You know, another big thing that came out this week was Barack Obama uh, confirmed his plans to cap military pay at one point six in terms of an increase. It just it's it's embarrassing that our military has not got a two percent increase. Nothing. They've been getting increased at at literally at at point at point five percent at one percent, and lawmakers have been for so long pushing Barack Obama, who has seemingly been so open with his help and his support around the world and what he is doing in terms of Obamacare and nationally and all this stuff. I mean, here's a man who has increased our our, de- our, our budget, our, our deficit by trillions. Seemingly, there is no sense of how much he can actually spend when it's not his money. But here's, you know, there's some money for our, our, our military personnel. And by the way, their families who are home trying to make ends meet while in many times the breadwinner is overseas. And what happens when they get injured and all this stuff in terms of this? These are the people that are protecting our boundaries. These are the people that are administering justice. And Obama writes, he's strongly committed to supporting the uniformed service members who have made a great contribution. However, here's what it is. We got some serious economic conditions affecting the general welfare, and as a result, we've got to keep ourselves on a sustainable fiscal course. Have you ever heard Barack Obama say those words? We have to keep our nation on a sustainable fiscal course, right? All the administration, all the legislation that he's been passing, all the money he's been throwing around, and when it comes down to supporting our troops and giving them some more money so they can actually afford their lifestyles and thank them for the work that they do, he's nowhere to go. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the economy. Meet with Jake Novak, talk about his thoughts on the immigration and how the economic numbers may actually impact the winner of the election. It's all coming up when we come back. You're listening to Charlie Harari on the Buck Sexton Show, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. And welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Rari here. Hope everyone's doing well. Speaking about Donald Trump, speaking about justice and kindness and what's going on in the world and just how much I think our country has sort of moved into a place where we don't feel like it's fair anymore. Sometimes we don't feel like we're just, we don't feel like there's an adult in the room and how that's really creating a blackwash heading to Donald Trump. And he's gotten the, the gift of from the Mexican president and what that's done for him. On the line, we've got Jake Novak is back. Jake Novak is a good friend of ours. Uh, senior columnist for CNBC. We had Jake on a, a couple of days ago talking about before what we could have expected from the immigration speech that Donald Trump was given. Jake, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, last time we spoke, we were just thinking about it, a speech, right? We had Trump was soft and he was flip-flopping. We were talking about how he may actually come out with a softer stance on immigration, and that was on Monday. And then the world changed, right? He got sent down. He got invited down to um, to the Mexican president, he gave a very strong speech on immigration. What are your thoughts in terms of what this has done for him on his and his sort of and uh, his course to trying to get elected? Well, it's been a, a real double home run for him just in the last you know 36 hours or so. You're right. We were just talking about a speech the other day, and I made the point that I thought he was going to focus on deporting criminals, uh, which he did, and I thought and I made the point that he was going to focus on building a, a secure wall where he could, which he did. But all of that got accentuated greatly by the fact that he had just come from Mexico, where the Mexican president had just said a lot about how they were going to spend a lot of money securing their border. And then there was a discussion about how illegal immigrants from Central America going through Mexico, the Mexican president said that was a problem. So it was just a double win for him, you know, especially the visual, the visual of Donald Trump at a, at a double podium stage with the Mexican president with the headphones of the translator. That's what you see when you see a president going around and forget about Donald Trump. Anybody who's not the incumbent president who's running for president can't ever get that kind of a visual with the foreign leaders. It's very difficult. And Trump, of all people, got it yesterday. Yeah. Just incredible turn of events for him. Yeah. And I, actually, I was saying earlier on the show that how I was at the gym when that happened and you literally saw the entire gym just stop. All the, all the TVs, whatever they were up to, if you were, if you were watching anything news related, it all just sort of cut to that feed. And you, you, you literally, if you, if you were far enough from the television, you couldn't sort of make out behind the podiums. You literally thought that you, you, know, you had to take a double take, that it was Donald Trump up there and not a Barack Obama. It really sort of created this visual that people, I guess, if, that especially Donald Trump supporters needed to get across that he's actually more presidential than we would make him out to be. Yeah, and you know, you really got to be a Trump hater or a Hillary brainwashed follower not to realize how good this was for him. You don't have to like Trump, you don't have to vote for him, you don't have to support him, but you, you, you to be a, if you're a fair-minded thinker or even close to a fair-minded thinker, you know that yesterday was big for him. No. This nonsense that a lot of other pundits are throwing out about how the speech ruined it all, or just don't get it. It was a very strong speech. He was very, very clear, and because of the visit to Mexico, he basically duped many millions of Americans into watching him directly without the media's filter. I think everyone was going to say they watched his speech, but what they really were going to do was watch the news media filter it for them the next day. Instead, and I haven't seen the ratings yet, but I'm sure they were very, very high. That means a lot of people listened to him directly, probably for the first time since the convention, if, if then. And um, that's always been Trump's problem. Can he speak directly to the voters without the media filtering him? And he got that last night. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I want to pivot a little bit because I know that um, you're, you know, at CNBC, you're very much focused on what's going on economically. This is a big week for us. We spoke about this a little bit earlier on in the week about just how much the economy matters in politics. Lots of times people think that the economy is one thing and politics is something else, and they usually don't cross. But that's not really the case. In fact, 
Um, I know you've spoken about this a lot, how much the economy impacts presidential elections. And I know this is a big week coming out. We've got some big reports coming up this week. Give us a sense a little bit, if you can, as to what are the things coming through and just how much that could impact the political climate. Well, you have the big monthly jobs report. You know, when, when I was a kid, the unemployment rate was something that the news would report once in a while. Now it's become this monthly event, you know, and not only, you know, the unemployment rate is actually not as important anymore. People really look to see what were the net number of new jobs created in the past month. So we're going to get the August jobs report. I know August just ended, but tomorrow we're going to get the August jobs report, and people are really going to be parsing through that report. First of all, I like to look at the number of net jobs created. Hopefully, you know, people like to see a nice big number because, you know, we want people working in this country, not out of work. But then, you know, I think tomorrow you really need to start looking at the nitty-gritty of the report, which is what we're able to do now. I mean, in the old days before the Internet, you saw these reports reported to you on television. They couldn't reprint the whole thing in a newspaper. You never had it right in front of you. And now a, a normal person can just have it right in front of them. So they're going to dig into the report, and they're going to look at numbers like the manufacturing sector. You know, how did that do? How did the service sector do? You know, kind of people who work in restaurants or as clerks, things like that. And, you know, today we got another big report. We got a manufacturing report, a national manufacturing report, which doesn't look at the number of jobs only. It just looks at the whole sector. And it was surprisingly weak which uh, bodes badly for tomorrow's jobs report, at least in the manufacturing sector. So these are things that are very important. And as you said, this is very well connected to our election. I think that Donald Trump, for some reason or another, whether it's deserved or not, we can debate that, has really, really connected with Americans whose livelihoods are connected to that manufacturing base. So if tomorrow's uh, jobs report gives us more bad news in the manufacturing sector, then that will be good news for the Trump campaign, probably, because that will really fire up the kind of people, get them who haven't already listened him, the people most likely to start listening to him will, will be affected by that. Yeah, and I remember you wrote an article a while back, I remember reading where um, you basically shown how anytime you've got an economic problem, you've got a crisis, a recession, you've got a lack of confidence from uh, individuals, and I think when the week started, there was a little bit more confidence, I think there was the, the, the opening numbers that started the week that was, was giving us a certain sort of pace that, you know, the Fed was talking about raising interest rates a little bit, there was a sense that the economy was rebounding. And one of the points I think you made earlier, and I'd love for you to address, is just what it does to incumbents. And Hillary Clinton is clearly playing incumbent in this race. She's not coming out and saying anything different than – in fact, I don't think I know what she said. It's just that she's there, and she's playing the game of I am an extension of Barack Obama. So you really have the incumbent versus the challenger here. And so if if the feeling from these numbers and these reports – and if we go into September with this general sense of the economy hasn't rebounded – we're not looking up. It isn't confident. Will that be enough to sort of start to really topple Hillary in terms of where she is? Well, it'll be another uh, you know brick in the wall for her. You know, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if uh, even at the at the height of Hillary's popularity in the polls, and I, I guess that's a misnomer. It's not like her popularity. I guess her strength in the polls. People said, well, you know, if there is a recession, if we have a recessionary quarter, or if we have a big bad jobs report, you know, a couple of months in a row, that could really change things. That's the only thing that could change things. And um, so that's a, that's a huge factor for her. Now that the polls are tightening anyway, I mean, we have a disappointing jobs report tomorrow, or like I said, if it's only job growth at the lowest levels of the economy in, in, in service jobs or, or, you know, or the financial sector and not in the manufacturing sector, then that could really hurt her. I mean, I, don't, I cannot think of any presidential candidate or incumbent, as you said, 
who's been able to win re-election or an incumbent party that's been able to win re-election when the economy is perceived to be bad, except during cases of wartime. War is the only thing that really trumps uh, economic concerns. And thank God we're not in a full-scale war right now. I know a lot of American troops are engaged right now in, 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 in deadly situations, so I don't want to downplay that, but we're not in a full-scale, full-deployment war, thank goodness. And um, anyway, so it's just one of those situations where the economy can trump almost anything other than that. And if we get a bad report tomorrow, if the stock and, 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 and again, it doesn't really matter about how the stock market reacts to because the stock market may see a bad jobs report in a different way and may and may go up on that news because they don't want a Fed rate hike. It's a, it's a whole a bunch of nonsense that only Wall Street cares about. You know, Trump's, Trump and Hillary need to win this election on Main Street and Main Street would not like a bad jobs report tomorrow. Yeah. And one of the things that I think we, we, you had mentioned to me earlier that is important for people to pay attention to. And this is, you know, like I said, this is really, you know, critical for trying to see where the election is going is understanding how to parse through economic data. Like to your point, people will vote with their pockets. People, if they're feeling it in their pockets, they're feeling they don't, they, they, they're not succeeding, they're not making it. If they think that their children are not going to have a, a economic future that they once maybe felt, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect their polling. It's going to affect how they vote. And even with this jobs report coming out, I mean, there is now a distinction between sort of white collar, blue collar jobs. And, and how important is that in terms of being able to look even deeper into these numbers and figure out exactly who's hurting the most? Well, that's a really big point. What, we first, what we're seeing from the Donald Trump campaign for the first time, I think, in American history is someone is finally breaking through to the American people about how that big number at the top that you see, whether it's the Dow Jones or whether it's a jobs report, doesn't necessarily – if it's really, really good, if it's really, really nice, it doesn't necessarily mean it's trickling down to enough people. And a lot of people have tried to get that message through, but they haven't been able to. I mean, I think a great example of a failed attempt at that was 1988. Michael Dukakis came and ran for president, and he said, you know, I know we've had this big economic expansion for the most part under Reagan, but, you know, there are a lot of people who didn't get to participate, and I want to represent them. You know, failed miserably, just couldn't get through to people. One of the reasons was, is, you know, he, he was a lawyer from Harvard Law School and a governor of Massachusetts. Very, very difficult for him to get that message through. Right. Donald Trump, you know, may be a billionaire, but he works in the, man, you know, the manufacturing building sector is something that he can speak of with a authority. And maybe that's the reason why he's been the first guy to come out and say, like, look, you know, maybe the stock market's a lot better under Obama. Maybe for Wall Street, it's been great. Maybe for real estate, it's been a nice rebound. But a lot of other people have been left out. I want to address them. And he's the first successful candidate that I can think of who's been able to get that message through. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen in the next few weeks, I think I think by September, right, we'll, we'll get a sense in September where we are economically. We'll get a sense as to where the Fed is and whether they can be raising rates and and I think to, to to your point about how sometimes when you're sort of parsing through some of this data, you look at a stock market, you look at some of these indicators, and it makes us feel better than 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 we should, right? It helps a couple of people at the top, and yet you'll look at some of these big big numbers and go, okay, stock market's up, and things are, are rallying here, or these things look okay, and then you go from like town to town, and you'll see that people are really still struggling and they're still hurting and they don't have enough, and I wonder if. We're getting to towards mid-September. I wonder if people are getting closer and closer, and if he can just stay on message. You know, Donald Trump has, has this uncanny ability of coming off message and creating these sort of political firestorms that don't need to happen. But it, it, in, your, in your opinion, if he just stays with this economic message, right, manufacturing jobs, the everyday American, what's going on in our pockets, immigration, that's an interconnected piece to all this, right? And if he can just sort of keep this message if the economy doesn't pick up, if the Fed says it's too weak, we're not going to raise rates, um, and we're getting towards you know that late you know that October November time, um, do you think this can put him over in terms of some of those states that he has to fight for, those swing states that are right now in Hillary's camp, 
but do have lots and lots of these blue-collar workers? I think the answer is yes, but he's going to have to do more than just not go off message and make a mistake. I think he's going to have to go one step further and talk about how in places like Pennsylvania and Michigan, he would make it better. Now, he's done a little bit of that when he's talked about coal and some of the energy stuff. You know, he went with Harold Hamm and they talked about the energy, but I don't think he specifically got that message across as well and as sharply as he could. For example, like last night with his immigration message, he finally gave us a sharper, clearer message. Now, you know, a lot of people may not like it, and I understand why they may not like it on both the right and the left, but no one could really make a plausible argument that it was rambling and I didn't understand what he was saying. He really was clear last night about immigration, finally, after kind of teasing us about it for such a long time right. and talking about it a lot, but, but being a little vague. He needs to go to Pennsylvania and Michigan and say, look, look, you know, if the, if the jobs and the manufacturing jobs are down, here's how I'm going to help. I'm going to, we're going to get rid of some of these fracking restrictions. We're going to encourage this and that. And I know he said right. some parts of this before, but he's got to get a little bit more specific. So I think it's a, he'll have to do that if he wants to a flip in Michigan, probably a Pennsylvania too. Jake, as always, it's an honor to have you on. Really appreciate your thoughts and looking forward to seeing what's going on tomorrow in the jobs report and then how it impacts into the September and to the ultimate election. Jake, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. This is uh, that was Jake Novak, CNBC. Uh, this is Charlie Rifle in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show. And welcome back to the show. Charlie R. here filling in for Buck. Had a great conversation just now with Jake Novak. Hope you enjoyed that. It's so important how we start to look at all these different pieces and start to see them as one large uh, portrait, right? When you're excited about politics and you're focused on one candidate and that becomes one thing, we miss the picture. And yesterday, for those that were with us yesterday, we had a, uh, a talk with Arya Lightstone, who was the director of Shining City, who spent lots of time trying to get guys um, elected in, um, from the congressional level, and he started to paint the picture for us that there's so many different pieces to all of this. And it's important to sort of put them all together. The economy is really important. And the more you, we understand just what how it works, it helps us personally grow our own wealth and our own sort of careers, but it also gives us a real good indicator as to what's happening around the world and how that's going to impact politics. Before we go to the break, I want to just read you one more uh, one more thing that I saw today from our favorite spoiled brat athlete. You know, yesterday we had the opportunity to speak about that athlete out of uh, out of FSU um, that was able to to sit with that autistic boy. Remember that? That was incredible. I told my wife that story and I was in tears again. And we got to speak also about Colin Kaepernick, the individual who feels that he just won't stand for our our anthem because he just sees he sees oppression. Well, guess what? They took a picture of Colin Kaepernick's practice socks, and it was a picture of a pig with a cop's hat on it. So not only is Colin Kaepernick sitting out for the, for the, uh, for the um, anthem, he just is wearing clothing that has been, that is degrading to our law enforcement. And I don't have a sense yet as to just how far you've got to go for a owner to say enough. Like, I don't know why the administration at the, at, at the highest level of the 49ers franchise is saying, listen, football's important and we want to win games. He's not an, he's not an incredible quarterback. He's good. This is this is too much. I mean, this is what we got. Our starting quarterback, our hero, is now practicing with a with socks that have a picture of a pig, with a cop's a police officer's hat on it. I, I just don't 
I don't have a sense of just how much lower you can get right now um, than that, at least in my eyes. And, and I don't know how we stand by it. We should be we should be asking, we should be petitioning um, the 49ers to let him go. Um, and we should be sending a message that, you know, you got to have some respect. You know, you can say some things, you can do some things, but there needs to be sort of a monochrome respect. Either way, we got a lot more coming up. Stick with us uh, when we come back after the after the break for the third hour. This is Charlie Harari filling in for Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Blaze Radio Network. Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. And hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Hararian sitting in for the great Buck Sexton. Honored to be with you today. Happy end of the summer to you. Hour three of the show spoken about uh, Donald Trump, and I think his pivoting towards this justice and kindness. I mean, he—I don't think he's thinking that, but I'm thinking that, and I think. We're thinking that. It just I don't think it's coming across in our conscious mind, but it's there. And the economy and whether or not we really sort of drive this home. And the more justice is sort of seen as – and that's why I think he, he goes to the law and order approach. You've heard him say this before. I'm the law and order candidate, law and order candidate. He's, he's, he's trying to hit this sort of internal feeling that we have. And if he hits it hard enough and if something really big happens to Hillary Clinton and there's more email mess that's going to come her way, and there will be. Because, uh, you know, September, she's got to respond to the FBI and there's more FBI emails coming out um, in, in October. And that's not including whatever else, whoever else has stuff, which I'm sure they do, that may get dumped between now and Election Day. And this whole sense of justice, we may just sort of say, you know what, I just can't vote for anybody else. I have to just sort of stick with it. And Hillary is just not, you know, I just can't go to Hillary. Um, but before we continue, I want to just give a shout out to... All of our fellow brothers and sisters out down in Florida right now, um, for those that are following the weather and the news, I should say, is that um, there's a Hurricane Hermione, I think. Hurricane Hermione is um, hitting down to Florida right now. Um, uh, right now, as we speak, I think the skies are dark, and it's supposed to be hitting Tallahassee and Tampa tonight. It's a, uh, a Category 1 hurricane that should be hitting there. And it's the first their first hurricane in 11 years. I remember I lived through Sandy. I don't know anyone in the East Coast that's listening to the show that remembers Hurricane Sandy. I got to tell you, it was scary. I mean, I was home with my family middle of the night. There was so much water on my front steps, and it was lapping into my house. The water was rising so quickly that I called 911. I called 911. 911. I can't believe I said 911. I called 911 um, at you know midnight. And it was high tide, and the water was flying up. And I basically said, "Hey, I got to, I got to get evacuated. I got kids in the house, and if this stays the way it's going by morning, I, we won't be able to come down." And I never forget the 911 operator said to me, "Sir, I'm looking on my screen right now, and you're in a you're in a zone that we can't get our our personnel to." And I said, 
yeah, but I got kids sleeping in the back. Like, what do I do? And she looked at, she, she paused and she gave me two words. You never want to hear from 911 operator. She said, good luck. I'm like, thanks for the luck. I appreciate that. Maybe I'll swim with my babies. And that night was the scariest night. Hurricanes are scary stuff. If you've lived through one or any sort of natural disaster, it's scary. I found it to be scary. And, you know, as prepped as we were, you know, once it hits, you know. So uh, my prayers go out to anyone who's in that zone, whoever's in in the path right now. And I just hope and pray that this storm goes un. Uh, this goes and goes quickly and, and, and doesn't cause any real damage. And, you know, so if you're out there and you're listening to the show out there from, from down south or, you know, someone, uh, our prayers are with you. And I hope that, you know, there's good news come weekend that not, nothing really happened. And I want to talk a little bit, you know, now that we're sort of, a, I'd like to go a little bit across across the, the way. And we spoke a little bit earlier on uh, in the week on Iran. Yesterday we had that um, clip from General Votel speaking about how ever since the Iranian deal Iranian uh, provocations have only increased. Um, I saw a stat this morning that in 2015, there were 300 incidents um, from Iranians to Americans. 300 times they had done something. They had provo- they were provocative in some way, well, some way. And so far to date in 2016, so we're only six months or eight months or so in, we're at already 255. So we're on pace to be about 65% more in terms of um, of these incidents, when they should really be less because of our wonderful deal with them, and then just recently, the State Department issued a travel warning. You know, when we found out that Barack Obama sent four hundred million dollars to Iran, and at first they said, no, 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 it wasn't really a ransom payment. It was just sort of a, a payment that just happened to have been at the exact same moment, and they were waiting for that payment to come in. You know, one hostage said that they were actually waiting for the payment before they released them. And the State Department said, no, 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 it wasn't really. No, no. Okay, fine. Maybe it was a little. Okay, it could have been very coincidence. It was a coincidence that it was literally the exact same time. And now that this all, you know, sort of passed through and people said, hey, listen, if you start negotiating with terrorists and you start paying them ransoms, they're going to kidnap more of your people. And the State Department just issued a travel warning um, saying that Americans, especially Iranian-Americans, um, should not be traveling to Iran. They should, you know, on the risks of Iran, and to be cautious about even getting over to Iran at all uh, because of this. Because right now, as soon as you start dealing with these guys, and they start realizing they can make some cash by just keeping your people, why wouldn't they? Uh, so this is just what what happens when you just kindness and no justice. This is how it works by just being able to t- be a, a government that sort of continues to do this. This is what we get from it. It's just a simple sort of sense of this is who we are. Um, but I guess a little, it's a little bit further even today because today actually there's a report that just came out from Reuters. Um, it was published by the Washington-based Institute for Science and International Security. It's a think tank. And its president, a guy named David Albright, was a former U.N.'s weapons inspector. He was the co-author of the report. And here's what he says. He says that, in fact, there were some secret exemptions that the United States actually allowed Iran to evade some of the restrictions on the deal. So they made this huge landmark nuclear agreement. And then in order for them to meet the deadline, right, they had to do some things. Remember, they had to, like, you know, sort of take away some of their materials and change their plants and actually do some things in good faith that would allow us to ease up their economic sanctions. So apparently they didn't do that. Shocker. If you're saying, oh, (laughs) Iran didn't play by the rules, like, really? Who would have thought that? And they didn't. And so the United States, with our great leader, as opposed to taking a hard line, 
and saying, hey, you didn't do your end of the bargain. We're not going to keep our end of the bargain. That's not what they did. In fact, they just secretly allowed them to evade some of these restrictions. You know, among the restrictions were ones in which um, it basically had to, the part of the deal was you had to limit how much low enriched uranium it can keep because that could be purified to highly enriched uraniums that are weapons grade. And according to this report, they didn't do that. And in order to get um, them to have, quote unquote, been in compliance to get those economic sanctions lifted, they sort of, I guess, then gave them more time or looked the other way. And as a result, had they not, their nuclear facilities would not have been in compliance with the deadline that was set for it at the beginning of the lifting of the sanctions. And so what you're seeing here, and this is exactly why we are in this mess. This is why a Donald Trump candidate could get so far. It's because there is a sense that nobody's home, right? When, when we have to hear things like this, I don't know how you feel about this, but when I have to hear things like, oh, yeah, there was a $400 million payment. Oh, wow. Hold on a second. Someone let's let's just sort of like connect the schedules. Wow. It came right before the soldiers were released. Oh, yeah. Iran has not changed in one iota from calling us the Satan and the devil and all their propaganda. Oh, and by the way, they haven't reached what they promised to have reached, which is a destabilization of their nuclear program. In fact, they haven't gotten there. And but for us giving more and allowing them to pass when they failed, we wouldn't have lifted these sanctions on them. And now with their economy in, in disarray, we have them literally at the place where we want them, a revolution that we would obviously want from the more moderate types. We just keep on feeding their economy with some free money that's coming from their terrorist activities. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, who is at the wheel? Like, really, who is at the wheel here? What, what in the world? I mean, just how much can you bend over? How weak do you have to be to think that a sworn enemy is going to actually treat you fairly. How many times do they have to go out to our Navy and provoke them? How many times do they have to keep their, their same propaganda? You know, there's a video out now. There's an organization you should check out called Memory. It stands for the Middle East Media Research Center. They just actually uncovered a propaganda video that the supreme leader, Ali Khamenei, his sort of office produced and sent out throughout Iran that I, I saw this today. It's incredible. I mean, if I, th I think it was on, I don't even know where I saw it. I, saw, I checked at so many sites this morning. I don't know where I saw it, but you should check it out. You should just Google it if you can. It's called Steadfastness 2. It's a, or just Google memory, M-E-M-R-I. And you're going to see a video. I mean, it's, this is incredible. Basically, it's a video of an Iranian kid playing soccer, and the ball goes into the ocean, and he goes to get it, and he looks up, and the sky gets dark, and a, a, an El Al flight with an Israeli flag passes through and gets shot out of the sky and explodes from some missile. And you look down, and it's basically warships. It's American warships that get sort of, sort of destroyed under a tidal wave, and the Iranians are up to fight and destroy the Americans and obviously the Israelis. And this is the sort of the propaganda that is being released by groups like ISIS. And this is some of the propaganda that's being released by groups like Iran to its people. And this is our, this is our partner. And the idea that we're sitting around saying, hey, these guys are good guys. And, and then they're just constantly and consistently turning around and embarrassing us is un, it's uncanny. 
And this is really going to, I think, this, this should impact the election because Hillary Clinton was a big part of this Iranian deal. And Hillary Clinton has supported this Iranian deal. And I, can't, I hope and pray that the, the sense of what we've done in Iran and just the total debacle of how we have taken what was once a nation that was considered to be the strongest superpower in the world and just we just keep on getting embarrassed across the world. I mean, Russia and Iran are probably, I mean, are definitely mocking the United States of America. And there's nothing we're going to do about it. What are we doing? We're just going to give them a lecture? I mean, what are we doing? We're going to lecture our own people when we say something? The, the, the greatest country, the country that has been the, the most stabilizing factor for, for years is right now sort of belittled because we have this sort of like weak, overly lovey president that has no sense of fairness, no sense of American pride. And is allowing a country like Iran, probably our greatest enemy right now, to just continuously embarrass us and embarrass us and embarrass us. So what we do is we make payments, we ease their sanctions, we tell people not to go there, and we just sort of play safe. This is what happens when you're weak. You give so much that nobody appreciates you, and then you just play safe when now you're stuck. While they're just going to continue their propaganda, continue their anti-American message. And if you think for one second that they're going to stop all their activities to building a bomb, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because why? Because they're getting the money that, that, that they believe we owe them? This is going to be, we're going to look back on this and for generations talk about this. And between me and you, and I am, as, as you know, if you've been listening to me, and not a huge Donald Trump fan, but if Hillary Clinton doesn't distance herself from this, which she won't, I, I just think this, that that's, you know, the, that is the dumbest, you know, move that she can make. I mean, you, you to think that we're going to get another pr- a president that's going to continue this bad agreement for the next four years, which is going to be the most important four years of the agreement. This is where it all going to happen. And if we, got, if we keep on doing stuff like this, looking the other way and helping them out, and we're going to allow Iran and Russia to grow into being a power that we, we wake up one morning and we're not going to be able to deal with them. This is all coming up. We've got a lot more to talk about. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. This is Charlie Harari, and this is the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Rari here. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, speaking a little bit about this idea that we've got to really be careful of how we deliver our kindness. And it's, it's we'd like to just be nice to everybody, and we should, right? We should give everybody the benefit of the doubt and be good to people. But we've got to be smart as well. And by being smart, it doesn't mean you're less kind. It just means you're more kind. And I saw this story this morning at a CNN. I've got to give CNN credit for this. CNN actually looked into something that has, to me, is a complete and utter abomination. Apparently, there is or there was this organization, I don't know if you've heard of it before, it's called the National Vietnam Veterans Foundation. It is a charity that was supposedly raising money for Vietnam veterans, a great, awesome, amazing cause. And for years, its founders um, sort of went around and raised money for it. In fact, the founder, the president, is a guy named Thomas Birch, who also had a full-time job as in the Veterans Affairs Agency. So it's like the perfect combination. This guy's working as a government employee, as a lawyer in the VA, 
And on the side, he's running this charity that is supposed to be taking care of all these veterans. Well, CNN sort of sniffed around a little bit. And there's this group, this charity group that rates charities. And it rated it a zero. It gave it a zero. It gets pretty bad on a charity rating. So CNN jumped in and did some investigative reporting. And here's what they found. That in 2014, this charity, the National Vietnam Veterans Foundation, ready for this? They took in in 2014 $8 million. That's a lot of money to be raised for vets. They paid themselves sixty grand each. They spent $130,000 in just in travel, sixteen in telephones, $70,000 in other expenses, 8000 just for parking. And then they gave $7 million out of the $8 million that they raised. Ready for this? They paid fundraisers. So they hired fundraisers to raise money and basically paid them. I don't know who is them, but they paid all these people most of the money they raises. They gave the vets 2% of all the money that was raised. So vets got $120,000 from $8 million. They raised $8 million in charitable donations, and the vets got 120000 of that. And out of that 120000 there was an $11,000 emergency funding for a guy who happened to have been Thomas Birch's brother. Unbelievable, right? This happens a lot. And, you know, lots of times when you want to give to charities and you get calls on the phone and, you know, we see things online and our heartstrings sort of tug. And we're just, we give money away and we say, hey, listen, you know, this is, a, I'm, I, I've been contributing to a good cause. And what we're finding between this and between what we're seeing, at least in the Clinton Foundation, that's for sure, is that lots of times people are running these organizations and these foundations and they're they're getting rich off it. They're getting rich. I mean, to think that seven out of the eight million dollars went to telemarketers and fundraisers, to think that Thomas Birch, who's who is the head of this, um, took a full time salary from it and spent eight grand in parking where he parked his Rolls Royce is just to me it's it's in, it's just incredible. It just it's un- this and this goes on, I think, all the time. Absolutely all the time. And, and to CNN's credit, they actually did the investigative work as far as I saw reached out to Tom Birch, put it on their website, put it on their news. They actually um, covered it in one of their segments, reached out to the VA and told the VA about this. So the VA had no idea that under its nose, one of its lawyers was running an $8 million charity that he was basically sucking the money from and not giving it to the vets. And he's the guy that works for the vets. And since that happened, I think just, just this morning or yesterday, um, or actually, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, they closed their doors, and this and this foundation shut down. I think that's something that I think we should be really thinking about here: is that lots of times we want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and we want to trust people, and that's okay, and that's nice. Um, but really, what it con- what what I think Micah was getting at, the prophet Micah, that is, was getting at was if you really want to do kindness, you gotta first do justice, right? You gotta look into things. You gotta ask yourself. Um, really, how do I know this is right? And before you start donating money, you should go online. There's lots of public filings and just see how much money they spend in in themselves. You know, our vets have been getting shacked so many times. I mean, how many? How much could one country do to its veterans to not take care of it in terms of its medical, its emotional, mental health? And now to have these organizations like this one in particular, the National Vietnam Veterans Foundation, to have it be sort of like a front for these guys, David Thomas Birch and David Kaufman, is just, it's despicable. 
Um, it's something that we should really think about really hard and, and, and take a stronger stance on and, and maybe even more importantly for ourselves. Just be careful about it. Just be careful, I think, every one of us as to who gets my money, who gets my donations. Do I really know who that person is? Just think about what Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton has been doing to 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 billion. I mean, just so much money is flowing through their worlds and what that means in terms of cha- ta- ta- charitable donations from well from good people. A lot of those people that were donating to them may not have have mattered, but still, it's still real stuff. And that's something that I think we should think about. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about back to school lessons that we can learn that our kids are going through right now that we could all maybe go back to school. This is Charlie Rari filling in for Buck Sexton, and this is the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show. And welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Charlie Harari here. Uh, bottom of the hour three. Honor to be with you these past three days, really. I got to tell you, Buck is is an incredible guy, and he's got an incredible audience. And you guys have been really incredible. I appreciate all the Twitter uh, the comments that I've been getting over the past three days. Remember, for those who want to reach out to me, of course, it's at Charlie Harari. Um, some of these shows will be um, shown or replayed on the podcast. I actually have my own blaze radio podcast called the charlie harari show for those that want to tune into that and we'll probably replay some of the stuff here and we do this every single week um but i really want to thank you you know for for the time and i want to sort of end the show or the the series here um with an article that i wrote a couple of years ago um about back to school you know back to school is where we are right now this is it this is back to school season and if you have children you know what that's like and if you don't have children, um, you still know what that's like because it doesn't matter how old you get, right? Back to school gets in your head, right? No matter how old, you can be 120 years old. When June comes and you hear like school's out, it's summer, you you just get that little feeling, you know? You feel sort of like freer and more excited. And when Labor Day comes, especially if you're in the Northeast, if you're down South or in the Midwest, I think you're, you're Labor Day, you're already two weeks into school. You get that like, ah, oh, here we go, school starts. But there's a couple of real lessons that I think you know school brings that if we just sort of pulled out and sort of talked about a little bit on the show right now, we can sort of put it into our lives. So even if you're not actually going back to school, if you're not a teacher or a student, but you're just living your life in summer to you like it is to me, it's just two months that happen to be warmer than other months where people around you in the office take out, you know, take off a little earlier on the weekends. It, you still can learn a lot of the greatness of what school sort of brings to people and why so many people are doing it and just some, some of the greatest lessons that um, that I think we get from, from school. And here's one. And you see this if you, anyone who's raising children, you see that, you know, they get out of school. If they go to camp, great. And even if they don't, but at some point they get out of school and that first day is like total bliss, right? And the second day is like bliss and it's great and they get up at like you know 11 o'clock and they do nothing and they hang on the couch and they see their friends and they go out for like you know some pizza whatever it is 
and like a week in from you know their unstructured life is awesome life they start to like hate themselves right like it just takes a couple of hours and they're like i'm bored and what's amazing is that when you're in school especially during finals and you're just killing it right and you got like finals and you're getting up and you're going to this and you wake up early and you got this class and that class and you get this and you get that and you're just hitting through hitting and hitting and then when that's all done you look back and you go how did i ever have the, the the energy for that you ever get that feeling where like when you're on vacation or a weekend you're thinking like wow if i am this productive in my weekends or my vacation the way i am at work or at school i'm just gonna like do everything. I'm going to clean the whole house and, you know, solve can, you know, the, uh, create a cure for cancer and finish my taxes and run a marathon and just do everything. And then like the weekend comes and you just can't get out of bed. And the reason is because as human beings, we actually crave structure. We love it. We, we say we don't because we hate being bound, but we actually love it. And this is very much in line with what we've been talking about the entire show about how much boundaries and structure and justice mean for the growth and the greatness of a human being. The greatest way you can destroy somebody is give them no structure. The, the, the parents that destroy their children are either over-structuring them. There, are, there is a sense of just the suffocation. But when you go the other way and there's like just no structure, because when there's no structure, there's no path up. Right? What structure does, if you can think about it, is it almost takes the light that's around and sort of focuses onto one sort of laser beam. And structure is what breeds, what, breeds, what breeds greatness. You know, there isn't one Olympic athlete in the, in the history of the Olympics that won a gold medal without a structured program. It doesn't work that way. There's no doctor or lawyer or teacher or whatever. There's no person in the world that has stumbled upon being great at anything. I mean, sometimes people fake it and sometimes people get lucky or they're born into it. But that's, and that's not how I wouldn't consider that to be greatness. But people that earn their way. What they're doing is they're either in structure or they're creating structure, right? Either they are in an environment that is highly structured. You know, the, the, the U.S. Marines aren't like, hey, guys, here's some guns and like, we'll, we'll give you a call when we need you in Afghanistan, right? It's structure upon structure upon structure because only when you structure something so much do you sort of suck out what's really great from within. And as we get to be adults... And we sort of throw off as much structure as we can or we don't look at it in the proper way. I think we're missing it. I think what our kids love deep down when that kid goes back to school, you know, that day in, in, inside, you know, they're a little nervous. But inside them, when they get back into that world of rules and, and periods and coming home and waking up and weekends, they flourish so much more than when there's nothing to do. Because on, on their own, you can never get anywhere. And as adults, as people that are trying to achieve things, are trying to do things, the greatest way we could ensure that we're living a life, whatever it is that you're doing right now, whatever it is that you want to be doing right now, the greatest way you can determine or you can predict your future is by influencing the things that you do right now that give you structure. And so if you're working at a job and you want to be better, or you're working at a marriage, or you're working at a, at, at a parenting, or you're working at a community, whatever you're doing, when you do things sort of haphazardly, you never get anywhere. But when you can actually put the structure into your week, and every Monday at 12 I do this, and every Tuesday I do this, and I go to the gym all you know at the same time every day, and I go here and I work for these many hours. In fact, science has shown that you can actually accomplish more. Believe this or not, you can accomplish more at your job and be more productive if you worked for like four solid, strong, 
hours the same time every day than if you do a typical nine to five, but you're all over the place, right? You check emails and you don't check emails and you go speak to your friend down the hall and you go to the bathroom, you take a lunch break and all that stuff that takes away that structure. If you've got one sort of period of structured work time, you can accomplish more in that period of time than you could have in a larger unstructured time. And that we get that from school. We get that from what, 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 what they did for those, for our children, what they're doing for us right now. And so the first lesson that I would sort of just sort of talk about today and, and reinforce no matter where you are in your life is the understanding that being an Olympic athlete I actually just did this in the podcast that I did last week. Actually last week I had a podcast with a great guy named Noah Galloway. If you want to check that out, he is a, uh, a veteran an army. Um, I think he was in the, in the army or the Marines. I'm not sure he was in one of the units in Iraq and he he was driving the jeep that and he ran over a, uh, an explosive and it blew off his hand and his arm and he his uh, he basically tells over his life story in this podcast last week and he's incredible now he's on the cover of men's health he's he's just an incredible person what he's what he's become but the week beforehand I did a, a piece on how to become an Olympic athlete of life and this is a huge piece of it it's your habits Remember in the first show that we did this week together on, on, on Tuesday, we spoke about how habits make the man or make the woman. It's all about the habits. It's the small things that you do, right? The, the Anthony Weiner move of just always doing his thing wrong. One day he wakes up and he can't stop. What makes you you is not those moments, it's the habits. And you right now could decide what you want your habits to be. It'll be hard to enforce them because that's what life's all about. But unless you create that structure of your day, unless you put those habits in on a daily or weekly basis, you're never going to get to where you actually could become. You have a, an enormous amount more that won't come out without structure, right? That won't come out without those habits. You, you, I don't care how good you are, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps would never be Michael Phelps without his coach putting in that structure all the time. And that's the one thing that I can tell you is big when it comes to school. Here's another thing that really resonates with me. You know, last year, I remember, and uh, we, school didn't start yet for, for me and my kids. Um, but last year, though, I remember back to school, my youngest um, was going on a school bus for the first time. Remember that, that feeling? My, he, was, he was five at the time, right? And he's in preschool, and they, he was old enough for that little tiny yellow school bus. So he's all big and tough about it, and he's like talking to his brothers and sisters about how great he is and all that stuff. And then he's waiting outside with his knapsack and the whole deal, and it's the first day of school. And then that little yellow school, but that mini school bus pulls up, and I can see my son's face go from like you know confident and I got this to like I am not walking on that bus, right? You can see all those bigger boys that are like you know first graders or whatever, you know six year olds sitting on the back and. You know, the, the thought that he's going to leave, you know, the, the comfort and the care of our house and the life where mommy gets to drive from to and from school to get on one of those wild, wild west things we call the bus where there's no rule. There's no, you know, there's no law and order, right? It's just, you know, kill or be killed um, and just hopefully do it while the guy who's in front or the woman who's in front can actually get you to the place where you got to go. And he's, he was just totally and utterly like scared. And my wife being my wife is like, you know, I'll just drive him forever. And I'm no, I'm like, he's going to get on the bus. And I, I, I remember that. Like it took us forever to get him 
on that bus. He was not walking on. And we had to like sort of walk him slowly and talk him through it and get him on. And my wife's in tears and the bus is pulling away and she's like waving until her arm was falling off. And she's like, you know, what? I think I may just, just follow the bus in my car. I think I'm just going to get in my minivan and just, just to make sure that the bus knows where he's going. And I'm like, you're not going to go in the car. He'll be fine. And I'm watching my son, you know, be a kid. And what one thing that school does for us, if you remember school, and sometimes it works to our detriment is it makes us really uncomfortable. Right, it is an uncomfortable, uncomfortable environment, especially in the beginning of it. You know, back to school is uncomfortable for lots and lots of kids because you're going to new schools and doing new stuff. And but you don't you don't become who you are unless you're willing to be uncomfortable. Right, the kids who's the kids whose mom drives them to school every day never learns how to get on a bus. Right, he never learns how to you know sit in a in a in a, in a cafeteria, not knowing who's going to sit with you. Never learns how to trap for a team or fail at a, a subject. And this is this is what life's about, right? It's about recognizing that when you're uncomfortable, that's when you are who you are. And it's in those moments of being uncomfortable do you make you do you make yourself something? Do you pull something out of yourself that wouldn't have been there before? And lots of times as you get older, we stop that, right? You, you know, you get older in life and you start to say to yourself, I don't have to be uncomfortable anymore. I don't have to say those things. I don't have to be with I don't have to listen to that. I get to just hang out with people that are just like me and they, and they, and they agree with me. And if something is not like me, or doesn't agree with me or pushes me too hard. I get to just sit back and complain about it. Like I get, I don't have to actually be vulnerable. I could just go to my three girlfriends or my, the, my wife or whoever it is and just sort of talk bad about that person or just say the reason why I'm not more successful is because of a whole bunch of reasons that are not me, right? That's just an easier approach towards life. And so you, you don't get that in school. Maybe a little bit, but not back to school. Maybe you get that in October. You don't get that in September, right? September is just sheer vulnerability, sheer standing out in a lurch alone. And But that's what makes us us. That's what makes you great. It's the ability to sort of be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And when you're in an environment that you're able to be uncomfortable a little bit, and it's a structured environment, you, you really have a chance of bringing something out in, that, that's inside. And, and, and kids that go through this experience... Although there's a lot of problems with the school systems, which is a whole nother full show, you really can become something that's that's really special. And this back to school stuff that um, that our kids go through, if we would sort of take it and you know run with it a little bit ourselves as well, and not just let our kids go through September going back to school, but put ourselves a little bit through back to school, maybe each and every one of us could sort of take it up up a notch and become you know the people that I think we're we're deep down meant to. We come back, we're gonna rack up, we're gonna wrap up the show. Um, this is Charlie Rye filling in from Buck Sexton, and this is the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. And hey, everybody, Charlie Harari filling in for Buck Sexton. Hope everyone's doing well. Happy almost Labor Day weekend. Uh, thanks so much for the time together. I just want to do a little bit of a recap of what we spoke on the past three days. Um, just for those who have been with me for the three days, I just want to sort of put it all together. Sometimes, you know, you look back, you, you cover the news, and the goal of what, what I'm trying to do is cover the news from behind the, the headlines and figure out some of the lessons. And sometimes you look back and you see it all sort of come together. So during the break, I sort of jotted some notes down as to some of the 
themes that we had hit in the different parts of the past three shows. Want to just sort of put it out there for you. You know, on Tuesday we got together and we spoke a little bit about the idea of the banality. Remember the, the story of Hannah Arndt and how life is really banal, right? Life is very common. And you can either use it to be good or bad, right? Remember she had covered uh, Eichmann's trial, Adolf Eichmann's trial, and so some old man who did not look like a real evil guy and started to, started to realize that you don't just become evil by being you know, sort of born that way. Some people do, but most people just slowly cross the line. And each and every one of us can decide to cross either which line, right? To either cross the line to good or to bad. And we spoke a little about Anthony Weiner and Colin Kaepernick and Iran and all these different parties that are just crossing the line and crossing the line on, onto the world of bad versus the world of good. And then the next day we spoke a little bit about where that comes from. And it really does come from vision. It comes from how you see yourself, how they see you, just what Trump's um, Wednesday looked like for him and why, more important than anything he said, it made him look presidential and how each and every one of us has vision. And what we see of other of what of what we see of ourselves, and we we heard from that mom, that gold star mom, that said when she sees the flag, she sees her son, she sees the country, what it stands for, and all the good that it does. And she had lost a son fighting for our freedom, and it's just really not a question of what's out there; it's a question of how you see it. And then today, I think we spoke a little bit about the balance, the balance of justice and kindness, and how it's not so simple, right? You got to balance it properly. You got to take care of those from within before you worry about those from without, and just why immigration is so critical and so important. And how, as a country, our foreign and domestic policy should really be focused on making sure that we help the world, but not at the expense of each other. And I think that's really, you know, a sense of just how, to me at least, you know, some, some thoughts about just how I live my life and how we have to just try to live our lives, to, to have vision that's positive, to take the right steps in the right direction, to balance the justice and, to, and the kindness. And, and that will make us into the people that I think we're meant to be. And whatever happens, uh, of the whole, that, that's the most important thing. But thanks so much for the time, the attention. Really, really appreciate it. It's been an honor to be with you today. This is Charlie Harari sitting in for the great Buck Sexton. And this is the Blaze Radio Network. See you next time. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.